0: I'll be reading this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse 26. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Thank you, Bonnie. Well, we are going to jump back into the book of Ephesians next week. But if you've read ahead and you know where we're going in Ephesians, next week we're going to have in the passage in uh, chapter 5, it's going to be talking about submitting to one another out of love and, okay, what does that mean? And then we're going to be talking about the roles of husbands and wives in marriage and we've got the night of marriage planned. And I really felt as I was praying and preparing for uh, preaching through that, that I felt that God wanted us to study singleness uh, in what, what scripture has to say about singleness uh, before we talk about marriage. Because I think oftentimes singles can feel like second-class citizens in the church, and they, they shouldn't at all feel that way. So we are going to study singleness this morning. So now, having said that, I know if you're here this morning and you're married, you're kind of like, all right, I'm just going to check out. Like, why didn't I just stay in my warm bathrobe this morning? It's chilly outside. I've done that before. I'm not single anymore. But I think God's word has things to say to us as those who are married about singleness that we need to value. Now, also, if you're here this morning and you're a single, you might be like, what does a guy who met his wife when he's 18 years old, he's been married more of his life than not, uh... I don't know that he knows anything about singleness. And in some ways, I don't feel like I know a lot. And I get that you are here, if you're here and you're single, or if you're watching online and you're single, you're single because you're in different places in life. And I don't presume to know everything there is about every challenge of singleness, whether you're here and you're 14 and you could care less about being in a relationship. You kind of think that everyone should just be single. Maybe you're here and you've chosen to be single in this season of your life. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're single and or you're watching online and you're like, I don't want to be single at all because I'm single for whatever reason. Maybe the brokenness of divorce or you just haven't found the right person or whatever that may be. I get there's lots of different stories. But listen, singles have every Uh, are are valuable in our local church. Singles aren't broken and missing something. But I just want to be honest about how singles have often been viewed in at least the American culture. I've talked to way too many singles that are like, I come to church and I just kind of feel like a second-class citizen. And it makes me go, what would people think about Paul? Right? He, pastor. How many pastors do you know that that aren't married. And so there can be like yeah, like there has to be they they have to get married. You know, maybe Paul would have been thought of as a bit odd. Maybe people ask the question, "Well, why why is he still single? Like does he look funny? Does he does he talk funny? Does he does he smell funny? Oh, maybe maybe he's struggling with something secret. Maybe maybe there's something about his His perceived sexual orientation. And I'm not going to open up that can of worms today. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. There's got to be some good reason he's not married. Just even thinking about those questions, they, they reveal... I think, more of a worldly mindset about singleness and marriage than they reveal what God's Word has to say about singleness and marriage. So I think today, as we open God's Word, we're going to look at three ways that we can view singleness in light of Scripture. And the first one is this. I view my situation as a gift because marriage and singleness are both good. Marriage and singleness are both good. Look, look at your Bibles at verses 6 to 9 in chapter 7. So look back at your Bibles, and verse 6 says this. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this, Paul says, I wish that all were as I am myself, but each has his own gift from God one of one kind and one of another to the unmarried and to the widows i say that it is good for them to remain single as i am but if they cannot exercise self-control they should marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion and and the path uh, and and the passage goes goes on But there is a reality that marriage and singleness are a gift because in verse seven it says, But each has his own gift from God. Now I know maybe some of you have experienced this. Do I have the gift of singleness? When I was in college, me and a a bunch of guys, we were in a Bible study. We we constantly were having this conversation. Do we have the gift? Do we have the gift of being single? Is that what, what God's calling us to do? Is this more spiritual of a thing for us to do? And we wrestled with it. I wrestled with the question so much uh, when I met this beautiful woman who is now my wife. When we were dating, we took a summer off from our relationship because I was like, I don't know if God's calling me to be single. So I kind of broke up with her for a summer. And you know what her response to that was? No, you're not. You're not called to be single. If you're not called to be married to me, you're called to be married to someone. But I can clearly tell you are not called to be single. She said those words, she was absolutely right. Here I was like, oh, she should, she should respect me because I'm, I'm just passionate about this thing that's so godly. How come she doesn't like, think that's just so cool? No, she was just because she's godly and discerning and heard from the Lord and, and told me like it was. But I share that story to say, like, we can wrestle with that. Singles can wrestle with that. Do I have that gift? And if God gave it to me, why did he give it to me? How come he didn't give it to that person over there? Here's the reality. The gift that's talked about here that's given is the grace for the season that you're in right now. It's the grace that God has given for the season that you're in right now. Whether you're single or whether you're married. We're not going to say that one is better than the other. I know Paul is saying, hey, you should be single. This is, you can be fruitful here. But, but marriage and singleness are good. We know from the scripture that marriage is good. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Okay, we know that's true. So marriage, marriage is good. But in verse 8, it says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. So if, if he who finds a wife finds a good thing, how does Paul get here to say that, that singleness is is good. I want to just look at a couple of passages. We're going to put them up on the screen. Genesis 1, 27 to 28 says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. And it goes on. So, uh, so we see the Old Testament picture paints this like get there, there's this relationship. So we know that's good, and it can give the impression get married as fast as you can. You must you must subdue the earth. But let's look at some other passages. Look at Isaiah fifty three ten. It says, "Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief." When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. So leave it up there for just a minute. So it was the will, we know this is talking about Jesus. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. But then it says, he shall see his offspring. Hold on a minute. We all know Jesus was single. What do, what do you mean it's, it's going to see his offspring? Are one of those hokey books that's been written about Jesus true? No, they're not. No, it's talking about spiritual offspring, spiritual children, not physical children, not physical, like biological children like there there are you can you can invest and have offspring as it were there's there's something there that when we invest in someone we all need spiritual parents and it's good for us as we make disciples if we're disciple makers we should have spiritual children now let's look at Matthew 19:10 and 12 it says the disciples said to him if such is the case of a man with his wife it is better not to marry but he said to them, not everyone can receive the saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive it, receive it. So even Jesus talks about the fact that, that there, there are those who are going to be single for the kingdom of, of heaven and it is good for those to receive it when God calls them in the season that they're in to be single but here's one that uh, the last one I want to reference Matthew 22:30 says for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like angels in heaven listen marriage marriage even in this life doesn't last forever we're, we're going to be single forever David Platt said, Marriage here is a shadow, a temporary shadow of an eternal reality to come. Marriage here is intended to point to an eternal marriage to Christ. But marriage here is temporary for all of us. Temporary. Even 60 years of marriage, temporary, a mist. Eternal marriage is to Christ. Now, I get marriage generally is going to be the norm or the human population would would cease to exist. But singleness is preferred by Paul. Jesus, John the Baptist, Paul, Silas, and others were single. Philip had four unmarried daughters. But both... Marriage and singleness display the gospel. Marriage displays Christ's sacrificial love for the church. So as we study about husbands and wives and, and, and men are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, so certainly marriage does display Christ's sacrificial love. and At least it should display that. Marriage displays Christ's submissive obedience to Christ. As we're going to talk about what it, what it looks like, what biblical submission looks like in the context of marriage. And it does point to Christ. But singleness displays that every Christian's identity is in Christ alone. Singleness shows us that every Christian's identity is in Christ alone. The world says that you need a husband or a wife to complete you. Think of your favorite love song, right? You know, somewhere in there, it's like, I'm nothing without you, you complete me, you're my everything, all all of these things. All of those secular songs, they just sound so great, but they're just not true. They're not true. The Bible says, I am complete when I am found in Christ. The Bible says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. In the presence of God that we only get to by trusting in Jesus, it's only by completely surrendering our life to Christ that we can find complete satisfaction. So the call is to repent and believe in Jesus and surrender yourself to him. That's where true satisfaction comes, not in the, in the context of a, a relationship. Singleness also displays for us that every Christian is eternally identified with the church. We're not identified with a spouse or with a boyfriend or with a girlfriend. We're we're identified with Christ, and that's what singleness reminds us of. The family that you see here... Whether it's the ones who could make it in person or the ones who are streaming from home, these are the relationships that are gonna last forever. Just, just as a reminder, like singleness is gonna be the norm in eternity. And I know it's kind of hard for those who've been married for decades of time. You're like, how is this gonna I, you know, I just know that eternity is gonna be amazing. I can't answer all of the questions but i think in light of this reality of singleness i think i want i want to speak to those uh, who are married because married people need to value the goodness of singleness if, if the married folks in the church don't value the goodness of singleness, singles in our church or singleness who come to, vi- sing, come to visit, they're going to feel like second-class citizens. I don't think they do in the context of our church, but we want to make sure that they feel valued, that they, they know the gifts that they have, that they are an integral part of what God's called us to. So I just want to mention five ways that married people can value the goodness of singleness. Here's the first one. Get to know singles as people, not as marriage projects, okay? Uh, Don't introduce the single people, you know, to every other available single individual that... ...contentment where you are. The appointed time, it says, is very short. Time is short. Let's be content where we are. Now, Paul's not saying if you're in a relationship considering marriage, hey, you should just just cut it off right now. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying be content where you are. Contentment is a deep trust in the sovereignty and sufficiency of God. Margaret Clarkson said this, She's a single missionary in her 60s. She said, Multitudes of single Christians of every age and circumstance have proved God's sufficiency in singleness. He has promised to meet our needs, and he honors his word. If we seek fulfillment in him, we shall find it. It may not be easy, but whoever said the Christian life is easy. The badge of Christ's discipleship was a cross. And she struggled, she honestly wrestled, why must I live my life alone? I do not know, but Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life and I believe in the sovereignty of God and I accept my singleness from his hand. He could have ordered my life otherwise, but he has not chosen to do so. As his child, I trust his love and wisdom. And not only trust, but contentment. Deep enjoyment in the grace of God. Deep enjoyment in the grace of God. That's what we want to be going for. That's what we want to be stirring up one another to do. Now, as a single, I, I know singles can be tempted because they can see, and they, they only see like the good things. As I've interacted with, with singles, they kind of look at those in a relationship, whether, whether I'm talking to a high school student that sees someone that's their peer, that's in a relationship of some kind, or someone who's older than that, and they look at people who are married, and the, the grass is always greener on the other side, it seems like. Well, it's super great. Here are three lies that singles believe about marriage. Lie number one, marriage will fix all of my problems. Married folk, is, is, that, is that statement true, though it is a lie? Is that statement true? Marriage will fix all of my problems? No. No. Ask every married person here, marriage will not fix all of my problems. In fact, I think I can make the argument and the case that marriage just amplifies the problems that exist in your heart and will reveal the things that you did not know existed. Okay? So marriage will not fix all my problems. Line number two, marriage is easier than singleness, I'm not even going to give practical examples. Look back at verse 28. Okay? But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. I don't know what all Paul means by that, but I kind of resonate with that as a married individual. And, and as I've talked with and done marriage counseling and talked with people, worldly troubles are lots of things. So much so that Paul's like, "I would spare you that. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a lot of work if you're going to be married." There is a reality. Angie's life would have been a whole lot easier if she did not marry me. It, it would have. I know we all chuckle, and that's kind of fun, but it's just true. Marriage is work. Why are we doing a night of marriage? Because it's work. Because we want to strengthen the marriages in our faith family. Or those of you who are considering getting married or in a relationship and it's moving in that direction. We want you to attend that night so that you can be equipped. We want to strengthen the marriage, but it's work. It's work every single day. You, you, to grow together, you do have to work at it. You don't just get, a, get up in the morning and, and get to do whatever you want. There, there's work that's involved. So marriage isn't going to fix all my problems. Marriage isn't easier than singleness. Third lie, marriage will bring me happiness. Oh, yes. I'm in a state of unhappiness, so therefore I must get married because marriage means I will never be lonely. And, and my spouse, they will meet all of my needs. Because the movies that I watch and the books that I read, that, that guy does everything that he's supposed to do. And they're just so complete. It's just so wonderful. I mean, riding off into the sunset. Listen, most of us just fall off our horses when we try to ride off into the sunset. Now, can you find happiness and joy in the context of marriage? Oh, absolutely. But it's not marriage that does it. And that's not where true happiness comes. And the marriages where the husband and the wife are the most joyful are those that are, are most deeply grounded in God's word. So the thing that, that, that finds the joy that you might see in the relationship is, is the fact that their Bible's worn and tattered because they're, they're in it all the time. So it's really not, It's not their marriage that has brought them joy. It's Jesus that has brought them joy. The reality is when the grass seems greener on the other side, it just typically means that we need some water and weed and feed on this side. That's usually what it means when we see the grass is greener on the other side. On this side of the fence, we need some water and we need some weed and feed. We need to, to get the truth. And that's true whether you find yourself single or married. It's so interesting talking with those who are married. Oh, you know. I don't know, like those who are walking through trials and they're real things and we need to talk through those and have counseling, but some, some will believe the lie. Well, it would be better if I was single. Maybe I should never have gotten married and we have to walk down those roads and walk through those issues. No, you've made a covenant commitment. There's lots of, of things there, but there's this, this desire, sinful desire in the heart, like I gotta be out of this because that's where freedom lies. And then I'll talk with some of those who aren't married and they're like, no, 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 freedom really lies if I get married. No, freedom, freedom lies when we find joy in Christ. David Platt said, God has clearly not designed singleness to prolong adolescence into our 20s and 30s. He's, ne- he's not designed singleness for more video games and wandering aimlessly through this life. He's designed singleness for A reason. And that brings me to my third point. I believe God's designed singleness for undistracted devotion. Singleness has the benefit of undistracted devotion. Look back at your Bibles, starting in verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. That's what Paul's saying. I want your undivided devotion to the Lord. Singleness doesn't mean you're free from temptations or anxieties. It doesn't mean that you don't Need to pursue holiness and put to death sexual sinful desires. We are bought with a price. We need to live before God, but we do need to guard against selfishness. And I think in our world, individuals have, have held off doing marriage not because they're called to singleness, but because they have shown themselves selfish. So I'm just addressing like where where heart issues are. We aren't created to live selfishly. We were created to live selflessly. America is not facing a singleness epidemic. I think America is facing a selfish epidemic. So I know there's an advocate here, Paul saying, remain single if you can remain single so you can have undivided devotion to the Lord. But there is a reality. Some are not pursuing uh, marriage because they're selfish. They want to live lives of selfishness. So we want to hold this intention. But we need to remember this. Singles singles aren't in like a holding pattern until they get married. If you're single, you're not in some holding pattern. I'm just doing this and just serving the Lord and just going to use my time until this better thing happens. No you you have You have a role that God's called you to. You have gifts that God has given you to be fruitful, to be involved in our local church and to be investing in people and to be reaching people for Christ and to be making disciples. And we all should be doing that. One friend of mine said, singleness isn't a curse. It's God's blessing on a life for the glory of God and the benefit of his church. The effectiveness of a single's life is completely dependent on their ability to recognize singleness as a gift and yield to God's calling in it. God has already initiated his grace as a means to sustain the life of a single. It is most fruitful when lived out within a community of believers who affirm and support God's mission for them as a single. Whether for a season or a lifetime, God's design of singleness for some plays a major part in the way God accomplishes his will. So if you are here and you're a single in this season for however long it's gonna be, or maybe you're married now and at some point God calls your spouse home to be with Jesus and you'll find yourself single again. God, God wants to use you. God is using you to accomplish his purposes You need to ask the question How can God use my singleness to advance the kingdom of God? How can God use my singleness for the advancement of his kingdom? Well, I'd say worship him and enjoy him. Worship God and enjoy him. That's why we are committed to Christ as a body of believers, because we're called to abide in Christ, to delight in Christ. Invest time to delight in him and enjoy him. Two, we want to be committed to Christ's church. And as a single, serve the bride of Christ. Look for needs. Don't wait to be asked. Look for where the needs are. And, and step into those roles, whether it's serving on a Sunday or looking for an opportunity to serve someone in your small group or just coming and asking, maybe a leader in the church to say, where are there some needs? I want to step into that. I don't know, I don't know what to do, but, I, I, but I'm here and I'm willing. You know, make disciples. God wants us all to have spiritual children. Jesus called us to go and make disciples. Are you making disciples? I know one summer I, I listened to a book called Kisses from Katie. You might be familiar with it. It was a, a, a New York Times bestselling account of a courageous 18-year-old woman from Nashville who gave up every comfort and convenience to become the adoptive mother of 13 girls in Uganda. The book just makes me feel like I'm not even a Christian sometimes because I'm just like, man, she just sacrificed stuff, but she shares the real struggles that she had. But what carried her through was these girls that she had the privilege to lay her life down for to care for, to pick the lice out of their hair, to, to comb them. You might not be called to go to Uganda. That's not the point. The point is God has called you. I know God's will for your life that he's called you to make disciples. I know that for sure. So how is God calling you to do that, to invest? And if you're not sure, I'd love to have a conversation with you after church today or let's get coffee. Let's get coffee. I want to encourage you in the Lord. The elders want to encourage you in the Lord because we need you here. We wouldn't be able to do things in our church if it weren't for so many serving who currently aren't in some kind of relationship. We couldn't do harvest kids without singles of all kinds of ages. We couldn't do it. We couldn't pull off a Sunday morning gathering. We couldn't see this community reached. We need each person who is here. I love this church. I love how you serve. And I love that so many of you are examples, but I want the singles to know how integral they are to the mission that Christ has called us to. Thirdly, give yourself to the mission. We're committed to Christ's mission But share Christ boldly. Go on missions trips. Rena Taylor, a single woman serving as a missionary in Kenya, said this. She said, being single has meant that I am free to take risks that I might not take were I a mother of a family dependent on me. Being single has given me freedom to move around the world without having to pack up a household first. And this freedom has brought to me moments that I would not trade for anything else this side of eternity. God wants to use you. I think of a woman that I know who in the last year or so, her husband passed away. You would think she would just kind of coast in this season of her life. She's in her 70s. Like, she's like, yeah, I'm... I went on a missions trip to, like, you know, rough part of Detroit. I going to go serve. You know, she lives in the country. I'm going, I, I don't, is that a good idea for you? Like, you know, I, and she's just like, yeah, that's what God's called me to do right now. I've always wanted to do it, and I couldn't do it when I was married, but now that I'm single, that's what God's called me to do. I'm so provoked by her heart. Because her heart has been captured by something. Her heart's been captured by her relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what God calls all of us to. Because I know some of you are in a season, maybe you are married, or maybe you're a single and you have kids. You're like, I'm a single parent. How does that work? I got lots going on. I get your mission might be to just get food on the table and to, to do a little devotional with your kids. I get there are challenges. But God, how is God calling you to spend yourself for the sake of Christ? How is God calling you to use the gift of marriage or the gift of singleness for his glory? So if you're here... This morning, you're watching online and you're single. No, as we start to talk in Ephesians about roles in marriage and, and we want to strengthen marriages in our church, I don't at all want you to feel like, well, I don't get to do that thing. No, you're not left out of anything. You, you are needed, valued, and I'm so grateful to God for each of you because each of us in this place, in this season, we want to be fruitful for God's kingdom. We want to be abiding in Christ. And we need to, need to see the realities of singleness and what it, what it teaches us, because there is a reality again that one day we're not going to be married or given in marriage. Because the greatest wedding that's going to happen is going to be when Christ returns and it's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb when he comes back for us, his church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for how you have been so good to us as a church. I thank you, God, for your son Jesus who who never got married because he was fully submitted to your will. And I pray, God, for each of us that we would be fully submitted to your will, whatever your will is for our lives. I know that leaves lots of questions. For some, I pray, Lord, for those who are here this morning that are struggling in their marriages, they're struggling with what your will is, God, I pray that you just give clarity there. I pray for those who are here that are single, wherever they're at, Whatever their struggle, God, would you bring the peace that surpasses all understanding to guard their heart and their mind in Christ Jesus? Would you fill them with your spirit? Would you give them vision for the mission that you've called them to? Would you show them the places where they are absolutely needed? We are needed in the body. The one another's, are, are, everyone in the body is needed for the one another's. And I'm so grateful, God, for how the singles in our church have brought glory to your name because they're devoted to you. They serve, they care, not just in our church, but in our community. So I'm so grateful, God. I pray that you just bring your encouragement and your peace. And right now, Father, would you just direct our gaze to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We ask all this in Jesus' name.